Loaded Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. <laughs> oh my God, what a scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck the lot of you. <laughs> I think Tom Naylor's going to be the nailed on holding midfielder, so it's just two goals. Unbelievable. Hello, and welcome to episode 68 of Loaded Sport. We've got a full house and full agenda. There's loads going on, and loads been happening over this last week, so we're going to get stuck right into it. We've got the NFL. Reviewing week one and previewing week two. We've got a Singapore Grand Prix in Formula One. We've got Sean Strickland beating Israel Adesanya in the UFC. We've got the weekend of Premier League returning this weekend. That doesn't even make sense, but we're cracking on anyway. And of course, reviewing England's recent performances against Ukraine and Scotland. But first, I'm going to have to introduce the lads and we're going to have our new usual game of Loyal Man. First up, Aggie. You're looking well, my friend. How are you? I'm good, thank you, mate. Yeah, I'm feeling well. Been doing a lot of exercise lately, lost a bit of weight. So, yeah, feeling good within myself. How are you? I'm good, mate. You might have to take over or retake over hosting duties because I don't know what that intro was. We've uh, we've just spent 20 minutes all trying to get connected and sorted, so I'm, I'm trying to rush. But we'll calm down. We'll simmer down as we get into it and, and back to usual business. But, yes, mate, you're looking really, really well and glad to hear that you're feeling it too. Next up, Kemp, the man. How are you, my friend? Yeah, well, Mr. Dawson, Mr. White, man with the mic again, glowing, uh, glowing on this uh, Thursday evening as we record peek behind the curtain. Yeah, good, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you, very well. Um, obviously, the gimmick is the football shit. Tonight, I am repping AC Milan around 2007, and I've got the best defender of all time on the back, Maldini 3. What a player, and luckily, lads, he is the loyalist of men, but I won't be bringing him up as the uh, player to kick us off. Before we do that, though, the man, certainly by no means least, as always, Sam, how are you, mate? Good, boys. How are we all tonight? <clears throat> I don't know why I've just asked you that. You've already gone, gone around the room and done it yourself. But yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much for asking. We've had a fresh week of week one of the NFL. So I am fully pumped and uh, can't wait to discuss that later. Yes, mate. I'm sure there will be plenty to say as there were some shock results, some teams that stood out and uh, yeah, some that we were expecting to do well that did anything. But but uh, that will be probably around an hour's time when we get stuck into that. But like I said, first of all, we are going to play Loyal Man. I am up first this week. Aggie, you're going to follow me, then Kemp, and then Sam, and obviously back round to me. Aggie, try to avoid Mario Melky up because Kemp hasn't, still, after all this time, hasn't got a clue who he is. So try Wigan. and avoid him if you can. Wigan or Birmingham, mate, should be your shout. So um, I randomly generated a footballer earlier on today. I was going to pick someone, but it's just my mind went blank. So um, Aggie, Andy Cole is the opening player tonight. Blackburn Rovers. Um, Chris Sutton Newcastle Bullshit <laughs> Check it please Ken Chris Sutton for Newcastle Check in He's, he's, he's uh, played for Birmingham as well didn't he at one point I was going to go I was going to go Celtic and I went for uh for Newcastle yeah, yeah, no, unfortunately, uh, Celtic would have been right. So. <laughs> Celtic would have been right, but unfortunately, Newcastle, unfortunately, Newcastle wasn't. Well, let's go again quickly because I've, I've I've done you up a bit like a kipper there with Chris Sutton. But we'll kind yeah, of... that's poor from me. That go, go on then, Sam. You uh, you kick us off with this, mate. Give us a player. Player is it? Um, Damien Duff, Newcastle. 
Craig Bellamy. Um, Cardiff. Fraser Campbell. Manchester United. Johnny Welbeck. Brighton Hove Albion. Adam Lallana. Liverpool. Um, Steve Finnan. Steve Finnan. Ooh, that's nasty, that. That's a tough <laughs> one, man, it is. It's going to fucking on so many players. <laughs> All Steve. the Liverpool players have ever... Is there any bastard for that, is he? Yeah, that's poor from him, that. Hey. No, no, uh, Is it? I could tell you one easy. Go on, then. Fulham. <laughs> It's not calling bullshit. We can't fucking say it for each other, can we? I think that, I'm, you I'm, said it. Now, I already fucked up on first, and I know Chris Sutton, so I'll, I'll put my hand up for that one. Let's, uh, let's call it a day for this week. Oh, my God. That is probably the most shocking attempt of them all so far. So, lads, let's do better next week, but we'll let's see. Let's just episode. fucking leave it at this point, to be honest. <laughs> it's not getting any better, is it? we'll see we'll see Um, but anyway lads we're going to kick off unbelievable with football and it's only right that we start with the England cap two games one on Saturday evening European qualifier or European Championship qualifier in Poland against Ukraine and then just this past Tuesday evening a friendly versus Scotland at Hampden Park 1-1 draw to start that against Ukraine followed by by that 3-1 victory in Glasgow on Tuesday now Naturally, we're going to start with the Ukraine game. That was the competitive fixture of the two. I didn't watch it as I was away this weekend. So, Sam, I'm going to come to you, mate. Um, If you can, you're shaking your head at me. So, uh, Aggie, I'm going to come to you, mate. Tell us, oh, you're shaking your head. Did anyone watch fucking England-Ukraine on Saturday or what? I didn't watch yeah, England, I fucking Ukraine, did. I've got shit to say. I've got there fucking you go. shit to say. Let me tell you. There, there you go, then. Let me take a timestamp of when you're about to talk. England versus Ukraine, one apiece. Talk us through it. Yeah, shocking team selection to start with. Madison on the left, fucking atrocious. What's that all about? Goes on about how he didn't want to play Foden in his centre midfield because he didn't play there for his club. Don't think I've ever seen Madison play off the left, but there you go. Uh, he played poorly. Vast majority of the team played poorly. Um, Maguire in the team, again, we'll get on to Maguire in a little bit, in a bit more detail when we talk about the other game. Um, Henderson, pathetic, adds absolutely nothing to the team, uh, slows the game down. The difference you saw playing between the lines when we played against Ukraine as opposed to when we played against Scotland, it was night and day. Um, Maguire marked Gwehi for the goal, marked Gwehi for the goal. It was his other centre-back, um, which which obviously led Ukraine to scoring against us. Um, again, negative Gareth Southgate, absolutely no idea how to change things up and become more attacking, playing two sitting defenders against Ukraine. All respect to Ukraine, why do we need to play two sitting defenders against Ukraine? Surely they've not got that much of an attacking threat, you know, that, that we need to... They've not got Andrei Shevchenko in his prime playing for him, have they? Um, so why is it that we're doing that? Why can't we play one and then two in front? No idea. Um, I mentioned about Declan Rice. I mentioned his struggle for creating chances for Arsenal. Um Exhibit A, as, as Theo Theo Vaughan says uh, during the England game against Ukraine, um, created absolutely nothing. Simple pass down the left-hand side for Rashford in the second half that just went straight out of play. And then five minutes later, a wayward ball straight into the feet of the Ukrainian defenders. Um, much better sides at international level and in the Premier League are going to sit, you know, are going to still sit in uh, like Ukraine did. Um, and it doesn't bode well for Rice that in that environment, with those players around him who arguably are better than the players he plays with at Arsenal... Um, it couldn't do anything. It could not create one single chance from that position. And as a midfielder, it's his it's his responsibility to do both. Especially when you play next to Jordan Henderson, you've got to be the person 
creating those chances and unfortunately didn't. Um, no disrespect to Ukraine. Not none at all. They've, they're obviously going through the fucking mill as a country, bless them. Um, but if you can't break them down um, when they're sat in and defending, then you've got absolutely no hope. 87th minute, you need a goal. Southgate makes an inspired substitution, uh, brings off Saka, leaves uh, Eberechi Eze on the bench, who will probably all agree is one of the most sort of uh, pace, um, creative players that we've got to probably bring off the bench and make an impact uh, and a bit of a, an injection of sort of enthusiasm into that team. Brings on Conor Gallagher, who's never done anything for England and has done precisely nothing for Chelsea ever since he went back. Um, so, albeit, all in all, 1-1, Ukraine, pathetic, shameful, dismal, um, and another example as to why Gareth Southgate needs to fuck straight off. It's funny that because obviously Southgate's come out and, and, and said that thing, weird thing about City and Pep not playing Foden centre mid. But yet he's, he's brought off Saka, a right winger, and replaced him with Conor Gallagher, who plays centre mid for Chelsea. So I don't get that logic either. Conor Gallagher's not a winger, so why is he swapping him like for like for Saka as well? So that, that just doesn't, doesn't really sit well with me either. The, that whole statement that come out about uh, Foden not being able to play centre mid. There were, there, someone had released some stats afterwards saying he played about seventy odd games in centre mid for Man City over yeah. over the course of his career. And and pff, I don't know. It just yeah, that's the start. Yeah, that's the start. Foden's played seventy six games for City at centre midfield. Madison's never played at left wing for Leicester or Spurs, as far as I'm aware. Um, and obviously, you've got Trippier playing left back, where he's played for New. I think he's played club football. I think he's been put at left back once. And Foden's been Foden's played seventy six times for City at centre midfield. The problem is with Southgate; he's such a coward that he'll say things, and I don't know whether he truly believes them or he's just saying them to just pacify media and just giving himself an excuse as to why he's got to be so unimaginative and shit. Um, and, and ultimately, it's come back to bite him at arse because it's very, very obvious that the stats don't back him up. So it's like I said to you boys, you know, off air, um, he's either completely incompetent to a level that we didn't know he was possible or he's a fucking liar and he's actually a detriment to the team at this point. I've said since the start, and we'll get onto it in, in a second when we talk about Scotland, I've said this England team, if they win, will be in spite of Gareth Southgate. It'll just be literally because he's there tagging along. And, and and he'll not do anything to impact that. I am now at the point where I believe, and we'll again talk about this when we talk about Scotland, that Gareth Southgate being in that setup is actively detracting from these England players. And it's going to be harder for them to win because Southgate's there than if they didn't have a manager in the dugout at all. Adam, I'm going to come to you for this one because I'm going to skip slightly past the on-field performance against Scotland um, and just follow up on, on comments made about Foden. Um, Following the Scotland game, Southgate was probably the angriest I've ever seen him when trying to defend Harry Maguire in terms of what he's done and, and the media attention that he's getting at the moment. Do you think that after the comments with Foden, he, he's never really been someone that's bit back at, at comments and the comments that he's now made following the, the stick for Maguire, is Southgate potentially cracking under the pressure now fans and media seem to be turning on him after the majority of fans and media have, have praised him for you know, what he's done with the team over the years. Now that's turning. Do you think he's maybe cracking under the pressure with the negative media attention that's coming his way? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking of saying that while Sam and Kent were talking. I thought, I know exactly what I'm going to say at the next point. He's under pressure. Everyone was, you know, joining in with him, celebrating, happy with the fact we got to the semi-finals and the finals of the Euros and World Cup. So, yeah, he's obviously England's greatest manager. And then out of nowhere, everyone's turned on him and now he's panicking a bit. He knows that... 
very soon he's going to be leaving the England post. Very soon, you know, players are starting to turn on him a bit bit as well. And I'm pretty sure, whilst that's not showing on the pitch or in the media or anything, there's going to be players that are showing that sort of frustration. Phil Foden is potentially one of the best players in the Premier League at the moment. And he's not making it into his country for players like Jordan Henderson. And I'm really not quite understanding that sort of, you know, rationale behind it. People like Harry Maguire, and I know you've just mentioned briefly about what you said about the the uh, scrutiny of Harry Maguire. The bloke is not playing for Manchester United. That's the issue that people have with Harry Maguire being selected. He's not good enough for Manchester United. He's not good enough for England. I give him a lot of credit for the fact that he's turned down that move to West Ham to try and fight for his place. Because a player who's under that much pressure and that many uh, issues from supporters, fighting for that sort of position, fair enough. But getting into the... England setup, despite not playing for Manchester United, for me is is ridiculous. And I think yeah. Southgate's starting to uh, crack under the pressure, like you say. Yeah, he's starting to feel the pressure. His exact words were something like, "He's livid. He's absolutely livid." And it's and it's it's a joke that That's that this that Maguire that is getting this sort of stick from the Scotland fans were basically just laughing at him all all the way through the game before the own goal. The own goal went on. The place just absolutely erupted, and it just they, compounded. They, they were cheering, weren't they? When they when Maguire got the ball, they were like cheering and kind of like, oh yeah yeah yeah. You, you, I've never ever seen anything like it before in my life. I've never ever seen a Scotland a Scotland setup home home Scotland team or fans actively cheering the opposition. It's just unheard of. And that just shows how much of a joke he has been. So Southgate's saying it's a bit of a joke. He's right. It is a fucking joke. It's a joke that he keeps getting picked for the same fucking England team when he's not actually playing for club football. He's not good enough to get in the Man United side. The deal fell through with West Ham. He wanted to fight for his place, so fair enough. But at the same time, if if you're wanting a fresh start, you have to take that. You have to take that. You think, right... I'm going to go and I'm going to do what's best for myself and I'm going to I'm going to take myself out of this situation. I'm going to try and rebuild my career. That should be on him to do that. It's not on anybody else to do that. And the fact that fucking Southgate's come out here and, and spat dummy out saying he's livid and it's and it's it's an absolute joke. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. He, des- he deserves... Well, he doesn't deserve the stick. I mean, that's probably not what I'm trying to say, but Southgate is putting him in this position to fail and that's on him rather than on Maguire. Maguire's just not good enough. They always say, don't they, if you put a toddler in the, behind the wheel of a car and he goes and crashes the car... You don't blame the toddler for doing it. You blame the adult who put the toddler in the fucking seat in the first place. It's the same sort of thing what what Southgate's doing for Maguire, for me. So, yeah, his his comments after that game I thought were absolutely pathetic. And it's a shame, really, because England, I thought, was absolutely brilliant against Scotland, which is not something I've been able to say for, for a while. I thought they played really well. Great attacking football. As Kemp said, in spite of Southgate, um, it, it finally made an, a, a decent selection. It, it, it kind of gone a bit... Again, it's a friendly, so that's probably why he's done it and he's not really strong enough to do that in a competitive match. Uh, but yeah, I'm really happy with the performance against Scotland and, and them comments afterwards just kind of took the took the shine, took the edge off it, I thought, myself. Kemp? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with most of what you boys have said there. The problem that I have most got... Of most of it... But the problem that I have got is you're saying that he wanted to stay and fight for his place, which is not 100% true. I think Maguire, the main reason why he stayed at Man United is because they weren't willing to pay off his contract and he was going to lose money financially for that. I think that was the biggest motivator. I think staying and fighting for his place, yeah, fair enough. I don't you think that would have been yeah. anything to do with it if he would have got paid that money that he, that he ought to have been paid. So I'm, I'm not quite sure I agree, agree with you there. But you've mentioned Scotland there quickly, so I will move on. to. I'll, I'll just sort of give you my thoughts on that and then we can kind of have a more broad discussion. Um, no, Henderson was obviously a great start. And, and like I said, against the Ukraine game, compare that to the Scotland game, the difference on the pitch is completely stark. Playing between the lines, Henderson, his ability is... is 
control the ball and either pass it back or sideways. There's no ability to move through the lines quickly and break teams down quickly on that sort of counter-offensive move. Um, and again, you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head, both of you. Southgate before the game didn't want to play Foden at centre-mid because he'd be out of position. Play Trippier at left-back where he's played once for his club and Foden's played centre midfield 76 times for City. Uh, also played Madison on the left against Ukraine, which obviously we've discussed. Never played there before. So that, in a sense, makes Gareth Southgate not only useless, but a fucking liar. Uh, England, again, played between the lines really quickly with intent for the most part. Uh, and I thought Phillips played his part really well in the game, actually. To say that he doesn't play for Man City on a regular basis, eyebrows are obviously raised because it's the same problem with Maguire that he doesn't play for his, his club, so why should he play for his country? But I thought Phillips really, really did well in the game, and I thought he played his part, um, and uh, and, he, and he sort of complimented Duke Bellingham in his position really well, I thought. Um, Rice, pretty ineffectual again, um, uh, is what it is with him. I'm not his biggest fan, as we are all know, wanting to do well, but but just don't see it. Um, and uh, and Foden and Rashford dropping into them central, posi- central positions when needed, I thought was ideal. But obviously the star of the show, Jude Bellingham, I mean, what a fucking special talent we've got on our hands there. Um, and uh, it, it makes me very, very hopeful for the future of the England team beyond Gareth Southgate, because he is only 20 years of age, bless him. So, um, but yeah, first touch, taking the ball, he ran McGinn off the park. I mean, poor John McGinn, if you looked at him after of that game, he looked absolutely shagged. Bless him, bless his little heart. I mean, he's one of the most hardworking players in the Premier League for Villa, uh, and he got absolutely shagged by Jack Bellingham. So fair play to him. Um, I think Dawson, you mentioned loads of space behind the Scotland defence, almost trying to play an offside trap, but that's a massive mistake when you're playing against Foden, Jude Bellingham, Rashford with the pace they've got. I think that's a massive mistake. And again. You mentioned there, Sam, you're absolutely spot on. We're at the point now where putting Maguire in an England shirt, it's unfair on him. I feel sorry for him being put in these positions, I do. Um, He's not good enough, full stop. Um, The lack of match sharpness just adds on to the fact that he's not good enough. And you can see that. You can see that on the pitch. He's just not sharp. He doesn't understand where to stand. He doesn't understand when to go, when to stay. Uh, He ain't got a clue. And again, a poor substitution from Southgate. What a fucking shock. And the fact that he scored the own goal, that allowed the Hamden Park to get back into the game. And if John McGinn scores that header, what comes off his shoulder, that's 2-2. And Hamden Park, 50,000 Scots behind you playing against their biggest rivals. So that's just another example of where we've had to dig in and win against Southgate, against what our manager's telling us to do. Because his mistake almost meant that Scotland were at 2-2 within you know, 10, 15 minutes after the restart. Um, Sam, you hit the nail on the head. I can't really add much to what you've said. Southgate coming out after the game, saying it's a disgrace the way that fans treat Maguire. What is a fucking disgrace is that, Sam, you've said it exactly that. I've put it down here, setting him up for failure every single time. Gwehi and especially Duncan that first half, they were absolutely unbelievable. Fantastic. Unbelievable. They were never out of place. Every single time, Scotland, I mean, they didn't have many attacks, but when they were on the attack, I would just sat there in every chair, chilled out as fuck, not a problem, because I knew we'd deal with it. And that's how we should be. Against teams like Scotland especially, that's how we should be. Um, The bloke, again, has gone from incompetence to threatening the success of the team uh, by being an absolute blockhead who's had absolutely no self-awareness or, or, or just, just no clue whatsoever. It just fucking stuns me. Um, I think the summary I take from this two games that that they've played against Ukraine is that for a long time I've thought Southgate's not the man for the job. We all know that, um, and that he's holding the team back, and therefore they're going to have to win in spite of him, as I mentioned. But after these two games, I'm starting to rethink and I'm genuinely thinking that he's a detriment to the team. And like I said before, if we turned up to our next game and we got no manager in the dugout and the team literally turned up, Kane took the team talk and said, right, let's get out there, boys, and let's play our stuff. 
I will be more confident about a result than if Gareth Southgate's in charge. Liar, coward, cunt. Fucking yeah. skating. I've got a question. I've got a question for you, Ken Paul. Just just before we wrap up this segment of England, can we win the Euros with Gareth no. Southgate? No, even in not spite of him, ch- not a fucking chance. Not a fucking chance. It, 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 before these two friendlies, I might have said before the Scotland game, actually, uh, before the Ukraine game. Sorry, I might have said mm, we've got a chance in spite of Southgate for winning it, but. After the team that he fielded against Ukraine, after the lies that he's told in the media, the flat-out blatant lies, after the reaction to the Maguire situation, and after the, the uninspired substitutions against Scotland, um, I, I, I think he's too detrimental to the team for us to win the Euros. Fair enough. I will just uh, chuck my two pence in. We know sometimes we like to put the devil's advocate argument out there, whether or not we agree with it, but purely for the sake of conversation. But... From Southgate's point of view, I do agree with the points he made about Maguire, about what he's done for the England team. He's struggled at United pretty much since day one, since joining. He was fantastic at Leicester. His performances there and his style of play was what earned him that big money move. Um, you know, and he, he was brilliant at the World Cup in 2018. He was fantastic at, at the Euros. Despite missing the first game, he made the team of the tournament. But I think now the position that we're in, in 2023... Yeah, completely agree with what you lads have said. He's not playing club football. It's not like we're struggling. It's not like we've not got any depth at centre-back, so we, we still need to play him. Again, in that position where at half-time he was brought on, Tamori and Colwell were sat on the bench. There's not really any reason to justify not bringing them on over Maguire and putting him in that situation. So, for me, this is not a Maguire as much stick as he gets. He, he has been fantastic in an England shirt for many a year, but... In this last sort of 12 months or so since the World Cup, those mistakes at club level have now started to creep in at international level as well, whereas before they weren't. And you could still justify Harry Maguire in, a, in an England shirt because of the performances that he were putting in. So, yeah, pretty much since the World Cup, I think in the friendlies that they've played, you know, you've seen Maguire passing out of play when there's no need to, being out of position and players getting around him. Like you said, Campelia, that Ukraine game where he was it was marking his fellow centre back for the goal. Scotland obviously scoring the own goal, which Aaron Ramsdale made the point after the game. Like if any other player scores that you think, oh tough luck, he stuck a foot out to clear it. But obviously Harry Maguire is in a tough position where that spotlight is so much on him where he's going to be p- pulled and picked apart for doing that. So, yeah, it, for me, the blame is fully on Southgate. But I do want to give Maguire credit for the performance it is he had put in. But unfortunately, this year so far, those mistakes and that spotlight he's had, had on a club level is now starting to creep in on international level. So I'm not saying he should retire from international football, but the onus has got to be on Southgate to say, we're not struggling for depth. The players that we've got sat on the bench, the players that we've got that aren't making the squad are absolutely fantastic. He's got no reason at this moment to be putting Maguire in that position. It's unbelievable that Tamori didn't come on former instead yeah. of Maguire in the Scotland game. It's absolutely unbelievable. I, yeah. I get, I, I can kind of half like get his logic that he doesn't want to do it in a competitive match, but that was an absolutely perfect game to drop Tamori in and just give him a few more minutes at international level. And the fact that he's re- just reverted to type again and just gone for Maguire at half time or whatever at what type of time he come on, just it's, it's embarrassing. Half-time. It was half time. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and I, compl- I can't agree with you there, Mordorson. <laughs> I don't know if I said it in my summary of the games well enough, but I do not blame Harry Maguire for this situation. I don't. I think he's been put in a situation where he's not good enough and he's really, really struggling, bless him. And I do feel really sorry for him. He's a product of the Sheffield United Youth Academy. He grew up about five minutes from me. I, you know, I like the lad and I really feel sorry for him. But 
if you played Aggie, and I love Aggie so much, but if you played Aggie at centre half for England, I wouldn't blame Aggie. Do you know what I mean? He's he's not good enough, and it's it's. I feel so sorry for him because he's been put in a position where he's he's just is it's an unwinnable situation for him, and it's all on Gareth Southgate. Well, I'd I'd say let's not get into it too much, but we have. But uh, anyway, England. Lads, I don't know if you know, they will return next month. Uh, two games at Wembley in the middle of October, pretty much literally a week, uh, sorry, a week, a month. A month yesterday is their next game, um, a friendly against Australia at Wembley and then England versus Italy in a Euros qualifier. So I'm no doubt there'll be plenty of discussion when the squad's released, when those starting lineups are released, especially that game against Italy at Wembley. The last time they played there was, of course, the Euros final a couple of years ago that we lost on penalties. So, if players like Maguire are still in the squad and still starting, if players like Henderson are still in the squad, I'm sure we'll have plenty to say as the uh, as the road to Euro 2024 heats up. So, lads, we'll uh, we'll sit on that for a month and we'll bring it back mid October. Uh, moving on to next weekend, or th- sorry, sorry, this weekend, should I say? Looking up and down the fixtures, there are some good fixtures out there, but nothing that I would say is sort of blockbuster like a, a, an Arsenal United that we had before the international break. Uh, but one fixture that I did want to bring up, lads, and just sort of get your opinion on the two teams, they're, they're, they're teams that we've not really discussed too much so far this season. Uh, but the Saturday evening game live on TV is um, Newcastle at home to Brentford um, in the half-five kickoff. Um, Newcastle currently, after that opening day 5-1 win against Villa, have lost all three games since. They sit 14th on three points from four games. And Brentford have started this season relatively okay. They've got two wins out of four. They're sitting in eighth place just off those Euro spots, I know, very early in the season. And doing so without Ivan Tony after that nine-month ban. So I just want to sort of go around the room and get your thoughts. And, and Aggie, I'll start with you on this one. Newcastle... Obviously, big hopes after after last season going into the Champions League. My bold prediction was, was for them to finish outside the top eight. And I was worried after that first game, that 5-1 win against Villa. But since then, really struggled and lost every single game. Brentford, a lot of people thought they might struggle this season without Ivan Tony up until early next year. But seemed to be doing OK. So, Newcastle-Brentford, what, what are your thoughts on uh, on both those sides? Um, I think for Newcastle, where they are in the league at the moment, you've got to take into account some of the sides that they've faced. I'm just having a look now that they've already faced Liverpool, they've faced Man City, they got a dominant win over Aston Villa, then they lost to Brighton. So the three losses that they had to Liverpool, Man City and Brighton, Brighton is one of them teams that I think they're about on par with, you know, top half of the Premier League sort of battling. City and Liverpool, I'm not going to begrudge them too much of a defeat against those two sides. Just just before you continue, I will let you continue. But you can't defend them against Liverpool. They were playing against 10 men for a large part of that game. They should have won that game. So normally I'd agree with you on the Liverpool one. They were playing against 10 men for the majority of the game. So I can't really forgive them for that one. I get what you're saying. And sometimes teams play better with 10 men than they do with 11. It's that old saying, isn't it? And I get what you're saying. And I didn't see all of the games. So I'll say fair enough on that one. But with Man City again, Man City again, it's a uh, defeat that you kind of expect. I think what's happening with Newcastle is the same sort of thing that happened with Burnley. So Burnley got there by some sort of freak of nature. They got into Europe. Newcastle obviously performed much better, had a much better squad than what Burnley had at the time, got into the Champions League. But over the summer, they haven't really added too much depth and definitely quality in depth that they needed to be able to, you know, put the Champions League on their shoulders as well as handling the Premier League. And I think that might be what we start to see over the next couple of months as well. Maybe them start to struggle a little bit more. As for Brentford, I said it at the beginning of the season, um, Brian Burma will be a decent replacement for Ivan Tony. And I think he's 
come into a class of his own. I think Brentford, I'm just going to check the table, actually, to be fair, see exactly where they are at the moment. Um, they are, yeah, they're eighth place, so they're performing well themselves at the moment. Um, apart from that draw against Bournemouth, been uh, been quite convincing. Got a draw opening day against Tottenham, who we've seen have gone on and did decent things. I think the thing with Brentford is they're a side that maybe go under the radar a little bit and a lot of people overlook because they don't think the players are, you know, that great. But they've got certain pieces of quality in there that I think separates them from some sides. And it wouldn't surprise me this weekend, despite Newcastle being the home side, if Brentford walked out with all three points. You think? Um, do you think last season they potentially overachieved, Aggie? <clears throat> because obviously it was it was pretty much the almost the same squad, bar like Alexander Isak, that oh. uh, that that pushed them to to where they they, they finished. Um, so you look at the likes of Almiron and um, just going through the team. Obviously you had um, Dan Byrne, uh, Sven Botman. These all players were absolutely outstanding last season, but they were all still knocking about when there was in the the, the dogfight at the bottom of the Premier League. Um, could it because last season is there any chance it could have been a bit of an anomaly where they just outperformed above and beyond their ability, and now we're seeing a bit of a regression on on the season after, and, and they're the playing at the level they should. I mean, you look at the signs they made, decent signings: Tenali, Harvey Barnes, uh, then they signed Lewis All from Chelsea, is probably pretty much one. I think I don't know if he's on loan, uh, so it's not really going to have too much of an impact. You thought, but signings that I think they probably could have gone a little bit more over the top with. Um, what do, what do you reckon? Could it be? Over and over, overachieving, or I think it's more that when Eddie Howe came in, Newcastle were struggling, and he brought in his own style of football and helped them adapt to that. And that's where they started picking up the points because we've already seen from what he did with Bournemouth before that Eddie Howe's got very good tactics about him. But I think what he's struggling with at the moment is people have sussed it out, people know how to play against his side now, and he's not really adapting to that. As well as that, he's not brought in too many players that have added quality and depth. Yeah, he's brought in, like you say, Tenali. He's brought in uh, Lewis Hall, Hall, who, again, not going to see too much game time. And Harvey Barnes, who, of course, I don't think he played too much for Leicester, actually, last season, especially for the back end of it. So I think there's areas where you could look at it and think maybe Eddie Allen needs to adapt and change up his style of play a little bit. Maybe he should have invested a little bit more uh, wisely. I think... That's something that, of course, they're going to have to address in January. But with the squad depth they don't have, and I'm, I'm fear that it's going to be a similar sort of situation to Burnley, I could see them, Skin said, they're not going to make top eight. I think with the way you look at how the squad set up, the amount of players that they've got on the, the payroll, you're going to be looking at bottom half of the table or an early exit from the Champions League. And I think Newcastle fans will be upset with that. And like I've said, if it doesn't improve soon, I think that's where the patience begins to run out of Eddie Howe. I'm just going to... Uh... Kind of half took your own question back at you, Sam, because between now and our next recording, the Champions League does return. It is back next Tuesday. Newcastle kick off their uh, group stage away at AC Milan uh, next Tuesday evening. So uh, when we did the season predictions, like I said earlier, my bold prediction was Newcastle to drop out of the top eight in the Premier League. That being because despite their money, despite their newfound riches, they haven't really gone out and splashed the cash. And I was worried about that strength in depth because I'm not expecting a big Champions League run. Or I wasn't at the time, but those six games will have an effect and could potentially leave them chasing uh, for the rest of the season. And then the Champions League draw came in. Milan, PSG, Dortmund, the group of death. Um, so, yeah, a really, really tough six games. So, Again, we're only four games into the season. The Champions League hasn't yet. They've got all the time in the world to turn it around and make signings potentially in January as well. But with the start that they've had, despite that tough run of fixtures that Aggie mentioned, three losses out of four, the Champions League is just about to start. They're playing a team that are playing relatively well and probably full of confidence. What 
and again, I'm, I'm kind of chucking your own question back at you, but what do you see for that Newcastle team this for the rest of this season? I think, I think your pr- prediction could be a very good one, to be honest. Looking at it now, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not, uh, I'm not fucking chucking a, starting a fire and chucking Newcastle straight on it because it's four games for fuck's sake. So yeah, as Kemp said a few podcasts ago, everyone calm down a bit. Um, but it's been a bad start. There's no, there's no getting away from that. Three, three losses out of four is, is definitely not where you want to be. I don't think they lost a, a, a lot of games last season at all, did they? So they're probably about halfway. To, to the losses that they did last season, so yeah, it's um, it's not good. And, and like you say, with the the mix of Champions League football in there, as well as the Premier League, it's they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle. And I would have liked to have seen at least three or four more signings just just to help with that depth, like you say. Because I'm just looking at the squad now. They've got the likes of Javier Manquillo, who played for fucking Liverpool, and it was absolutely shocking. Uh, Matt Target. Joe Willock's a decent player, don't get me wrong. But yeah, it, it's not a team for me that looks like a top four Premier League side and definitely not a Champions League side. So I think it was a matter of potentially over, overachieving last year. Um, and I think we're kind of seeing that fall off this year for, for me. Yeah, and especially teams like Chelsea and Liverpool that you would assume, I know Chelsea haven't had the best start, but you would assume over the season will improve. Um, teams like Tottenham as well under Ange have, have started fantastically well um, too. So yeah, could be a long season ahead, but as we go on, we will of course review that. But a, a potential uh, good game on that on that Saturday evening, I'm sure. Um, Newcastle Brentford could be a, a little sneaker for uh, first game on match of the day Saturday evening. But that is football. Not a huge amount to talk about with the international break. Uh, but again, the Champions League is returning next week, so we will have plenty to talk about next week with the teams such as Arsenal and Manchester United returning to the Champions League for the first time in quite a while. Of course, Newcastle, as I mentioned, they're back for an even longer time as well. So episode 69 are oh, next week. Well, we will have plenty to discuss and, and talk about with the Champions League return. But uh, Kempi. Sean Strickland, it was a shocker, it was a shocker, but talk us through what happened in Sydney this past weekend, and yeah, we have a new champion in the UFC, mate, talk us through it. Jesus fucking Christ, Sean Strickland, Sean Strickland, for anybody who knows anything about MMA, Sean Strickland is the new UFC middleweight champion of the world, defeating Israel, the last stylebender, Adesanya, by unanimous decision this last weekend uh, in the Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney, Australia. And my God, what a shock that was. Dawson, you just touched on it there. Nobody saw it coming. Not one person. I did not see or hear one person from the MMA world, the community, Twitter, X, or whatever you want to call it. Not one person said Sean Strickland would defeat Israel Adesanya, but defeat him, he did. Um, unanimous decision, 49-46, 49-46, And there was no denying the new UFC middleweight champion of the world, Sean Strickland. And yeah, an incredible night of fights. Um, a really exciting night. When 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 we when we saw the card, it was a little bit of a sleeper. I thought, in my opinion, there were a lot of interesting and exciting fights on the card, but you just didn't quite 
know where they were going to go, which way, and, and whether they were going to be interesting or entertaining. But my God, they really were. We had two first round finishers in the first two fights of the evening. Tyson Pedro knocking out Anton Turklaj, um with punches after two minutes and 12 seconds of the very first round. Um, uh, the Pleasure Man, I think, is the uh, the nickname for Anton. Uh, and unfortunately, he was uh, pleasured to the, uh, to the shadow realm by Tyson Pedro after two minutes and 12 seconds of the very first round. We move then to the heavyweight division where the hometown hero, Justin Taffer, defeated Austin Lane, the former NFL linebacker, I think he was, Austin Lane, um, after one minute and 22 seconds of the very first round to get him a win and hopefully move him up the heavyweight division. Manuel Carpe against Felipe Dos Santos was next. Uh, Carpe was meant to be fighting against um, Kaikara France, uh, another flyweight, an Australian boy. Obviously, as you mentioned, it was from the Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney, Australia, uh, and that would have been a very interesting fight. Kaikara France, unfortunately, did have to pull out of the fight. So uh, Felipe Dos Santos stepped in at short notice and gave a really good account of himself. Uh, I think his most recent fight, or one of his most recent fights, was on the Dana White's Contender Series, which is something that people do to try to get into the UFC. Uh, but this young man took his opportunity most definitely and, and put up a real fight against Manuel Carpe, who unfortunately, for Felipe de Santos, won by unanimous decision after three five-minute rounds. So it looks as though Manuel Carpe will be fighting Kaikara France next in that flyweight division, and it continues to rebuild after the years under Demetrius's jo- Demetrius Johnson's tyrannical reign as the flyweight champion where he was going round it twice to beat everybody and completely kill that division off. Um, next in the co-main event of the evening, another hometown boy, Tai Tuivasa, bam, bam, uh, for Alexander Volkov in the heavyweight division, as we've discussed. And this was a very, very interesting fight. Always, always interesting and entertaining when Tai Tuivasa fights, especially in his hometown. Uh, but unfortunately, it wasn't to be for Bam Bam Tuivasa today um, or on the weekend, on Saturday rather, as he lost against Alexander Volkov by an Ezekiel choke. You don't quite often see Ezekiel chokes in the UFC, but we saw one in Sydney this weekend um, and that moves him to 14-6 and six and three losses on the skid. Um, Cyril Garn by KO, Sergei Pavlovich by KO. And then Alexander Volkov by submission, uh, as I say, at four minutes and 37 seconds of the second round. The main event. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody knew. Nobody wanted to know. It was going to be Israel Adesanya. This was the one that couldn't fail. This was one that never failed, as Gary Neville said, um, historically. And it did for Israel, the last style Ben Adesanya, who didn't look like he could get going throughout the entire fight. He started slow. It was it was a typical Izzy pattern of of sort of hand fighting and, and trying to get the range and understanding Sean Strickland's patterns. And Israel Adesanya does something really effective in his fights where for the first round or two, he downloads you. You saw it against Paolo Costa. He figured out his movement and then he he punished him in that second round and knocked him out. Um, against Alex Pereira in that most recent fight, figured out his movement and and and, and knocked him out. And uh, and unfortunately against uh, Sean Strickland, he was unable to do that. Strickland landed a really big one-two in the very first round that put Israel Adesanya down and he tried to finish it off. It was really, really close to the end of the first round. And there is an argument to say that if he wouldn't have been saved by the bell, uh, he may have finished Israel Adesanya in that first round. After that, it was one-way traffic completely by Sean Strickland. I think everybody was expecting Israel Adesanya to get back into the fight and he never did. 
in that second round, Adesanya, he did look as though he was coming back into the fight, did look as though he was trying to find his rhythm. I did mention there that the judges all did have Adesanya winning one round, and that was the one round that I think everybody scored for Adesanya, the only round of the evening that everybody scored for Adesanya in the end. Um, and, and, and apart from that, it was one-way traffic Sean, traffic Sean Strickland. He, he went with the high guard, as Sean Strickland quite often does, sort of blocking those head kicks coming in from Izzy. Um, and, and, and Izzy didn't really throw much of anything else in significance. Sean Strickland kept it really, really simple. He came forward, he pressured, he threw one-twos, he landed them more often than not, and Israel Adesanya came back with absolutely nothing. Nobody saw it coming. It, it's it's quite obvious that there was obviously something wrong with, with Israel Adesanya on the night. I'm not sure he's the type of fighter or the type of former champion that will come out and say that something was wrong. But it's quite obvious to everybody that, that it was. Um, Israel Adesanya, he's had a couple of defeats now, three fights in uh, three defeats in his last few fights. Um, one against, obviously, Jan Blahovic, one against Sean Strickland now, and, and the former one against Alex Pereira before he got that win back. And unfortunately, um, made a bit of an ass of this one uh, by by losing against Sean Strickland by unanimous decision. But again, you got to tip the cap. You got to take it off to Sean Strickland, the most controversial man in the UFC. Perhaps he speaks his mind. He's been through a really, really tough time in his life, um, a really, really tough upbringing. Um, uh, he got involved with the wrong crowd when he was a kid. Got kicked out of school. Was involved in some really, really difficult and, and bad circles when he was a child. Um, but now look at him. Now look at him. He's, he's the UFC middleweight champion of the world. Age 32. He's got a few years left in him at the top level. Um, and fingers crossed for Sean Strickland. He can do it again and again and again. What's next for both? Who knows? There have been conversations of Israel Adesanya having an immediate rematch. I'm not quite sure whether that will happen or not. Um, I don't think Israel Adesanya in his, in his feedback afterwards looked like he'd got quite honestly, the balls to do that again after the, the, the response and after the performance against Sean Strickland. Um, but who knows? Israel Adesanya is a ballsy guy, um, just like our, our, our good man skin. Um, and I'm sure he will come back uh, and, and hopefully reclaim that UFC middleweight championship of the world. Or he may sail off into the sunset. Who knows in the UFC? But that middleweight division... Um, I'm sure there'll be another another contender coming off the uh, the, the production line. Maybe Drikas Duplessis, who is hopefully going to be initially fighting Israel Adesanya for the belt. Maybe he's next in line. Who are we to say? But what a great night. What a great weekend. Uh, UFC 293, it delivered. Um, and something else that was delivered yesterday, officially, the UFC and WWE have merged to create TKO group holdings with them. Ari Emanuel as the CEO Vince McMahon on the board of directors above the UFC. Really, really weird. If he listened to Shane McMahon in 2000, he'd have bought the company beforehand anyway, and he wouldn't have had to do it now. But hey-ho, who can you... You can't do that in, in, in retrospect. So a big, big week for the UFC. They've gone live on the New York Stock Exchange as TKO Holdings, um, and Sean Strickland is the new UFC middleweight champion of the world. What a week for the MMA leader. Um we then move to this weekend, and it doesn't get any better or slower in the UFC. We return, I believe, to Las Vegas, Nevada, and we do the T-Mobile Arena. Uh, Alexa Grasso versus Valentina Shevchenko, the rematch for the UFC Women's Flyweight Championship of the World. One of the biggest upsets in UFC history when Alex, Alexa Grasso defeated Valentina Shevchenko for that Women's Flyweight title um, not so long ago now and ended the dominance of Valentina Shevchenko 35-year-old, uh, hadn't lost in a long, long time before that. And the only time she had lost was Amanda Nunes. And you can't exactly blame her for losing to the MMA GOAT in the women's division. But she had 
various consecutive uh, title defences. I think it was eight consecutive UFC flyweight championship defences. She was the only UFC women's flyweight champion um, in in the history of the the belt, in the history of the, the sport um, at this point in time. But again, Alexa Grasso did defeat her uh, by a submission, by a, a face crank, I think they went down to, at four minutes and 34 seconds of their fight in Las Vegas, Nevada at UFC 285 in March. So that's going to be a rematch. We're really looking forward to seeing how Valentina Shevchenko responds to that at 35. Can she respond in the way that she wants? And, and can Alexa Grasso continue um, to be the UFC Women's Flyweight Champion of the World with her own custom belt? Absolutely made up for Alexa Grasso. The UFC don't do things like that. It's not WWE, although they have merged with WWE now as TKO Group Holdings, as I mentioned. She's got her own custom belt. She's the Women's Flyweight Champion of the World. She's representing Mexico this weekend, and I'm sure she's going to do what she can. Some other fights on the card there as well. Kevin Holland against Jack Della Maddalena in the welterweight division. And I'm sure that is going to be a good one. Kevin Holland, big mouth, as Dana White calls him. I'm sure he will put on his show. Other decent fights in the uh, on the card as well. But uh, but I'm sure the headliner, the one that we're all looking at, is going to be Alexa Grasso versus Valentina Shevchenko. Dawson. Uh, just a quick question there. You were talking about the uh, the merger there this uh, this week. Obviously confirmed a couple of months ago, but has officially gone through and happened uh, within the last couple of days. Do you foresee any potential changes to the product that is UFC? I know there's been sort of rumours about how they, as a as a new business, I suppose, will will lay out weekends with. WWE and UFC potentially putting events on at the same time over the weekend or events on in the same weekend as as a combined thing. But do you foresee potentially any changes to how the UFC is presented, whether that's weight classes, events or anything like that? Or do you think it it should be business as usual and it is more of a a top line measure that you won't really see uh, affect the on-screen product? No, no, you won't. The only difference you'll see is probably when the ESPN deal comes up. Uh, Ari Emanuel will probably get a foot ton of money for the UFC. Um, and, and you'll see Ari Emanuel probably trying to use WWE and UFC as leverage to kind of get himself bigger deals on network, perhaps. So it wouldn't surprise me in a couple of years if you saw the UFC and WWE both on Amazon Prime or Disney Plus, for example, or something like that. I think that's the main thing that we're going to see as customers uh, when we're watching the products. But apart from that, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The UFC is the world leader in MMA. They've got the biggest stars. They've got the biggest gates, the biggest revenues. Why would you change it? So in terms of on-screen product, Dawson, as you mentioned there, I don't think anything will change from the UFC side of things. Um, but, you know, it's only going to make them stronger. Um, and Vince McMahon is the chairman of TKO Group Holdings, which the UFC is part of. How fucking crazy is that? But there you go. I'm sure you didn't have that on your bingo card when we started 2023, did you? I didn't. I didn't. I must admit I didn't. But there you go. Uh. That's it. Well, we'll be back next week for episode 69 and the latest edition of Kempe's Combat Corner. Um, And I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about with the UFC fight night this upcoming weekend. On to Formula One now. And Aggie, I'm going to bring you in for this one, mate. Your favourite race of the calendar of the season. I'm so sorry. Of the season. It is Singapore, mate. Talk us through what you predict for this upcoming weekend. I can't. I'm done. Now, um, so yeah, this weekend Formula 1 comes back after a week's break and of course Red Bull on the back of 14 race wins out of 14 so far this season. I think a couple of more races and it's pretty much game set and matches in it for uh, Red Bull this season. 
Uh, Max Verstappen, of course, leading the Drivers' Championship, but we get to go to Singapore, and we've already mentioned that whilst he is leading the Drivers' Championship, that has, of course, all come from race finishes, not from the sprint race or from qualifying necessarily. It does mean that with the street race, it being a short circuit, no width, that we're going to be uh, where you start is usually where you finish, unless there's some uh, very good strategy Strategy has taken place. I can't even focus on Sam whilst I'm trying to. The unprofessionalism is unreal. Uh, so I'll, I'll look towards the uh, the stats and the information that I've got heading in towards the Singapore Grand Prix because there have been a couple of changes that have taken place uh, in preparation for this race. Of course, a couple of corners that have been taken out. We do still have the three DRS zones um, that I'm going to ask Skin about um, in just a moment's time with uh, the Singapore Grand Prix. It's not one you like racing on, but for me, it's it's the night race. It's the atmosphere. That, that really makes this race what it is. Um, and for me, those changes that have taken place, I don't really see it changing who's going to win the race. In my mind, it stays as Max Verstappen. But because of the track being very narrow, it does mean that the strategy plays, of course, a huge part. We saw a couple of weeks ago, Ferrari, the changes that they made over the summer break has really helped their car elevate towards that sort of championship battling side. But it's probably a bit too late in the season for them to be able to do that. And of course, the speed and pace of Max Verstappen in a race environment is just too much for them. Where there's not much space for overtaking, it it all lies on qualifying. A very good qualifying session could see the end of um, Max Verstappen's reign of dominance uh, this season. But he's currently got the record for the most race wins consecutively, uh, just taking that from Sebastian Vettel. So anything does now be setting a new record. So Skin... Yes, mate, absolutely. And and you're right there. In terms of an occasion, an event and a visual thing, Singapore is, of course, right up there. But my concern is the street race. Um, Monaco this last season has declined in terms of, I think, the, the least amount of overtakes that has ever been. So one question that I wanted to pose to you, it's something that uh, a good friend of the show, Nath, um said to me a few, well, I'll say a few months ago, a couple of months back during sort of towards the end of, of the calendar before the summer break, and he mentioned a potential change that could come in to um, to street race weekends, basically. Aggie, we know the FIA have made big strides to try and make the whole field more competitive, but with street racing, it's very hard. And I think we spoke, of, I can't remember what race it was, but we spoke about the sort of limited overtaking opportunities. Do you think that they could potentially change? They've brought in sprint racing and things like that to try and sort of add excitement to a weekend. When it comes to street race weekends, is there more they could do? Could they potentially bring a, a time trial layout for the weekend instead of the race to to give fans not only a turn up for the weekend but also watching on the on the TV? You know, are there ways that they could that they could change things up to make it an exciting product to watch? Yeah, absolutely. I think the one thing for me that really rings that we could do is the championship is back to front for qualifying. So instead of actually doing the qualifying session where the faster cars predominantly make it through to the third qualifying session and you see obviously the runaway leaders, put it all down to strategy because, of course, the engineers have worked relentlessly to make sure these cars are as good as they are. Obviously, Red Bull at the moment are the favourites and further ahead than everybody else in terms of development. But if they look at the championship and each week or each race go based upon the championship and move it back to front. So, of course, Max Verstappen, who's leading the championship, would start from the back of the grid. It might make it a much more competitive environment. And you get to see drivers like Verstappen, Hamilton, Russell, you know, those that are usually the front runners, work their way up as opposed to just being out there in the front because they have got the fastest car. And then a lot of it will come down to, you know, the strategies, 
how much they can focus on getting the overtakes and some of these other cars. Because despite being in slower cars, there are some drivers on track that are very good at defending their position. The experience of Alonso we've seen before. Daniel Ricciardo is very good at that. We've seen in the past the likes of Massa, Barrichello, Button, people like that that are very good at defending. So you'll see a very different approach to the race. So that's something I'd like to see brought in, going back to front for uh, the race from what the championship looks like. That's fair, mate. And look, qualifying, as we mentioned last time out, is is starting to become a bit more competitive despite what's happening on, on race day. So with it being a street race, with the opportunities to overtake being limited, obviously qualifying is probably more important than it is on, on a, a usual racetrack. So can you see many differences between the result in qualifying and the result at the end of the race? And who have you got standing on the podium come Sunday evening? I think naturally it's difficult to bet against Verstappen, um, but I think it's going to be a Ferrari race, and we might actually see the upset um, of McLaren, uh, of Miss, uh, Red Bull, sorry, not completing the perfect season. So I'm going to go with Leclerc on top step of the podium, Max in second, and I'm going to go for Lewis in third. And for the first time in a long time, it'll be three drivers from three different teams. I like it, Sam. I suppose we've got to start asking you the question when it comes to F1. Where um, where are you putting Lando on the grid? <laughs> As you've somehow got travelled to the beach between football and F1, mate. <laughs> I don't, don't know what's going on from our background here. Uh, what, do to, what do you want to comment on Lando? Yes, mate. Where's Lando finishing this weekend in Singapore? There we go. Um uh, not 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 a podium finish. I think he's uh, going to fall off a bit now, and uh, I'm going to have him to finish eighth. That's fair. I know we'll get into weekend uh, conversations, but can you see yourself seeing a bit of the uh, the night race in Singapore this weekend? Night race. It's a night race. It's it's day over here, but it's night over there to make sure it's still on a normal time over here. What time over here? About Usual two three o'clock. Yeah, I doubt it. I doubt it because I've got red zone from six. I'll probably do some of that uh, as she wants to do between then and then. So, yeah, my time will be very limited on a Sunday from now until February, I'm afraid. That's it then. But, uh, Aggie, we'll, uh, we'll review Singapore next week, mate. Um, see if you can get your predictions right. Completely agree. What reason have you got to go against Max at the moment? Really not sure who, who steps up on the podium. I think it could, could be a bit of a, a free-for-all um, this weekend. But, if I had to put my name to someone, we'll go Max wins, Lewis second, and I'm going to go George third. I'm going to go for a really positive weekend for Mercedes uh, with that. The race actually starts at one o'clock on Sunday, so a bit earlier than what we thought. There we go. That's that's fair enough, as, uh, as you would say. But uh, that's F1. NFL, we've been waiting for this for, for a long while. It is time to discuss actual... NFL, National Football League, that's taking place on the pitch and or on the field or on artificial turf, which is very convenient to discuss the first subject. And Sam, I'm going to come to you for this one. Um, I know you're really eager to add Green Bay's performance against the Bears, but Aaron Rodgers, of course, left during the uh, during the offseason, joined the New York Jets. There was a lot of fanfare. There was a lot of expectation about what he could potentially deliver. <laughs> Kemp, stop, please. <laughs> we need to start recording where everyone can see everyone because then people will start behaving. Um, but we know it's not going to happen. But anyway, Sam, Aaron Rodgers 
came to New York, a lot of fanfare, a lot of expectation. And in his fourth play as a New York Jets, uh, snapped his Achilles and is out for the season. Team. Talk, talk us through it. <laughs> it's not what to say, is it? Four plays in. They've uh, they've done a trade with Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay uh, need him to play about 65% of his snaps to get a first-round pick, otherwise it would be a second. That's how much they didn't really trust him. You know, his mind going into the season, whether he would make the full season, and he's actually had that decision taken away from him and he's, uh, yeah, really nastily done his, uh, done his Achilles, which didn't look good, to be fair to him. Um, Pretty gut-wrenching if you're a Jets fan, I must admit. Um, it's one of them things, isn't it? They've, they've kind of, all, all the uh, all the headlines have been in New York in the off-season, especially with the hard knocks. I've watched most of the hard knocks myself. I know Kemp has too. And uh, it just looks like a different man. It looks like he's enjoying life again. And then fourth plays into the season, someone don't like him upstairs because it's it's a rotten thing to have, have to happen to you. So, yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's a bit of a... A tough pill to swallow if you're a football fan. Uh, obviously, he, he left Green Bay, but he's, he's, he's served us and the Packers so so good over these last fifteen or so years. So um, yeah, I, I wished him the best. I, I was hoping he'd have a good season this year, but it doesn't look like we're going to get that out of him. So yeah, Aggie, what's your thoughts, mate, on on the whole situation? I've got a question for you because obviously, as a Green Bay fan, you've seen a lot of Aaron Rodgers. What's your thoughts on the potential of a retirement coming off the back of this injury? Apparently not. I was on the assumption that that could be well in his mind, but apparently one of the first things that went into his mind was, sorry, one of the first things that come to him was the question of retirement and someone, and he just turned around and said, absolutely not. He says, I've still got the fire. I'm determined to come back as fit, as strong as I ever have been. And uh, yeah, so apparently he has quite, he squashed them quite, quite, um, Quite soon, it nipped him in the bud, should I say? Sorry, Dawson's now uh, now acting up, so I'm just struggling to get my words out as well. But uh, there we go. Yeah, uh, it's um, it's that time of weekend, and it's Thursday. I think everyone's gotten a little bit giddy. No one can quite behave themselves except for Aggie. And to be fair, Kemp's just sat there. Matt Kemp... Wednesday recording because we behaved then. <laughs> yeah, we're all a little bit too tired to act twat, weren't we? But now, no. Back back to Rogers. Um, it, it is it is shit. To be fair. Um, Four plays in, you didn't get get chance to see what he can do. We know what he can do from Green Bay, and there we go. So it looks like after all that palaver, it looks like Wilson um, is going to be under centre for the the remainder of the season. And let's uh, let's let's hope that um, that the, the off the the training camp with Rogers has rubbed off on him a little bit. So there we go. Completely agree with your point there, Sam. Obviously, being I know you, you kind of from the heart are, are closest to that. With it being Rogers, and, and like you said as well, the the implications that that has on um, on Green Bay's draft preparation as well. Um, with New York Jets being in the Patriots division, it does I suppose give Patriots more of a chance to potentially get say a wild card spot um, in the AFC. But yeah. I completely agree with your point there. It's a shame. You wanted to see it. As a fan, you want to see those matchups. I think Jets, um, not including the game against the Bills, have got four more games that are currently due to be sort of a standalone televised game. They could potentially be moved now, but they were there in the first place because, you know, they were highlight games. Um, this coming Sunday, for example, in week two, they were playing the Cowboys. You, you know, you know, Sam, as a, as a Green Bay Packers fan, the, the battles that Rodgers has had with Dallas Cowboys over the years, especially in the playoffs, you know, that would have been a great matchup, especially with Cowboys' defensive performance this Sunday, which we'll get into shortly. So, yeah, 
taken away the you know the potential positives for your own team it is such a shame as an NFL fan you want to see that you want to see the journey um so yeah four plays in after everything that's happened this off season all the talk all the chat all the predictions all the hope for it to have gone that early is, is a real shame but um what can you do? There's nothing you can do now. And yeah, it's definitely on Zach Wilson. Now, surely you would have benefited from spending a summer with uh, with Aaron Rodgers. And and apparently from the from sort of conversations he had after the game, it, it looks like Aaron Rodgers is more than happy to really, really push and support and motivate Wilson through this season, which is, is only going to benefit him. Um, so, so we will see. But uh, Sam, I will very quickly come back to you. And to be fair, there are a couple of things that I'm going to come back to you on this because there are a few things that you wanted to discuss. But Jordan Love at the wheel. Aaron Rodgers has moved on. Green Bay Packers are 1-0. And uh, you and Tina in the in the group chat had a, a bit of a back and forth conversation on why Green Bay Packers are 1-0. But uh, I, uh, I think you want to put on record uh, that you're going to be giving Jordan Love some flowers uh, this week. Absolutely. I mean... No one really knew what we had in Jordan Love. He's, he's not really had much chance to prove himself. I think he's made one start before now, and I think he was in Kansas City. Um, so, yeah, obviously, tough game to play. I think that was last season some point, or might have been the season before. So, it wasn't really ready. Come in through, I think, a touchdown or two. But, yeah, this was his first proper proper start in Green Bay, and, and, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I thought the composure shown in the pocket was outstanding. Uh, one of the things, I know he's not quite a rookie, but one of the things young quarterbacks tend to do, especially athletic quarterbacks like him, is tend to look to run off and scramble early on. That wasn't the case. He was going through his first, second, third read and then by the time you know it was it, it were always seeming to making that right decision which seen Colin Cowherd say something the in the in the week about Jordan Love's performance said um he didn't look like a superstar out there he just looked like a guy that has got an a, an offensive head coach and that's how much a, a young quarterback will benefit from having an offensive coach. You always see, sometimes you get a, a young quarterback in and there's a defensive coach in there and it never quite works. If, if he's just sticking to LaFleur's scheme and if this is what LaFleur's scheme is supposed to look like, what we've not really seen for the last couple of years because of Rodgers calling audibles at, at the line of scrimmage, then you know bring it on because it, it, we looked really explosive in, in the offensive game and we've only gonna, we're only going to improve because we've not even got um, Christian Watson back. It were a dominant performance from start to finish. It, we, did, we did only score 10 going into the half, but we were in complete control. Uh, early turnover on downs uh, for the Bears. We went and capitalised first drive. Jordan Love was started at about midfield, 40-odd yard drive and went and, and pinged it in the end zone four. Um, it might have been Dubs for, Dubs for the first touchdown. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it was potentially. Uh, and, and we just didn't look back. D- defensively, we looked excellent. Um, little Nice little pick six in there from Quay Walker. But the Bears were fucking awful. The Bears were so bad. And and I get, I get this is what Tina's issue was. He was saying, like, it was not willing to give Love any credit whatsoever because of how bad his franchise is at the minute. And I think that's harsh. I think you've still got to make them throws and you've still got to be present and correct and do your things right. And he did that. He did everything that we could have asked him to do in that game. He could have easily turned the ball over, fumbled it, threw some picks, and he didn't do that. So, and again, I get what Tina's saying. He had all day to throw it. They got no pressure on us. Our offensive line was, was excellent that, that game as well. But yeah, the Bears are look, look in trouble. I mean, I have infamously backed them to do quite well this year. And I think I've looked like an absolute tit already after week one. I think 
Fields looked very, very average. D- didn't look like he could elevate anyone around him. You've got Chase Claypool out there who, uh, who was getting absolutely dogged by the media at the minute for just putting zero effort in on his route running, his, 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 his blocking for his, his runners. Um, yeah, it's just not a good look for the Bears. They, they took last season to nosedive essentially, and you're thinking this could be this. This needs to be the season, really. Like they're going to bounce back. Head coaches don't get three years in the NFL these days to, to be three years being bad. It, they have to see some improvement, and if they're going to be the worst team in football again, because let's not let's not beat about the bush. They was the worst team in football last year, and it was only because of the trade that they wasn't on the number one pick. And by the way, they traded that number one pick for DJ Moore, and I think they threw threw him the ball three times. So you know what are they doing with that? So yeah, I think I think the Bears are in trouble. If I could change my pick now on the NFC North uh, predictions, I 100% would. I'm going to put that on record. Probably the earliest chair move in Europe we've ever had on Loaded Sport <laughs> after week one. But that's even how... I'm laughing because I'm yeah. thinking, thank fuck for that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to yeah, I'm going to take some serious heat heat away from you here because that's how much confidence after watching that performance the Bears I have in them. I've got no confidence, and they the fourth, all the world could end up with the number one pick again if they don't see so many improvements because from top to bottom, coaching plays, you know, play calling, discipline, flags, penalties, holding on offensive line, no blocking. They, they look really bad. Really, really bad. So, yeah, poor week one for the Bears. Great week one for the Packers. And uh, we've got the Falcons coming up this weekend and I think that'll be a hell, hell of a more, lot more of a test going into into the Dome in, in Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And, and Sam, I'm going to, uh, I know this is something you have been very, very, very clear that you don't want, but I'm going to hand over uh, hosting duties to you for this next question um, as we talk about the Seahawks' loss to the Rams. So um, Aggie's <laughs> going to talk us through this one, mate, but I'm going to allow you to open up the question and open up the floor to him to discuss that week one loss for the Seahawks. Yeah, appreciate that, mate. Appreciate that. So, uh, Aggie, when. Uh... Was it was it last weekend? We was we was coming round. Uh, yeah, of course it was last weekend. Yeah. I'm just trying to flick around to get the game up in front of me now, so I have the stats in front of me. But um, when we was uh, we was discussing the the season preview and, and week one going in, uh, obviously you was quite uh, quite confident on your Hawks. They're looking good. They've drafted a hell, hell of a draft, probably one of the best drafts in the league. You know, for to a man. Um, <laughs> then you said something that's just you know is always going to come back and bite you in these situations. And you said, I think almost quoting word for word, is we're playing the the, uh, the LA Rams. It's a nice easy game to start us start us into the season. It's a game which we should be winning. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's a nice way to start the season. Now the game has been played. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that, buddy. Take the floor is yours. Well. Um, yeah, on paper, it, it should have been an easy win, you know. Um, Stafford was poor towards when he played last season and then obviously went down injured. Cooper Cup, so the main targets out of play as well. You know, they'd lost Ramsey, they'd lost, they'd lost Wagner, they'd lost some important part, pieces on defence. So, on paper, yeah, that should have been a, a nice and easy win for Seahawks. But as we know, in sports, games aren't won on paper and the performance that we turned out just wasn't even close to being good enough. The Rams seemed uh, riled and rallied together and ready to, you know, take the game to us and that's exactly what they did. I think um, Stafford found a a new target that I think, I can't pronounce the name of, but I think was a good little replacement for for Cup. I think... Two to Atwell. No, it wasn't two to Atwell. It was. I'll try and find the name for you right now on the receiving side of things. Nakua, that's it. Um, Nakua, who got uh, oh, yeah. 10 receptions for 119 yards. Didn't reach the end zone. The end zone was all done by uh, Kwan Williams, who 
again, didn't get the lion's share of the running plays, but it just goes to show that, like you've said before, and we've all said before, that the games are won in the trenches and we have a very poor O-line and a very poor D-line. Just, uh, just having a look at the stats now in the game, obviously, I've, I've seen pretty much nothing of this game. Um, just look, was it the... Um... What what time was the kickoff? Was it uh, nine twenty five? Yeah, that'd be why I didn't see it then. I was the same time as Packers Bears. Just looking now, Cam Akers twenty two attempts for twenty nine yards. That's one of the worst yards per attempt I think I've ever seen in a running back one point three. But your boys here, what was what was the defining feature of the loss? Because I'm just looking at the stats now. Geno Smith sixteen of twenty six, hundred and twelve yards is pretty paltry. Um, Kenneth Walker twelve attempts for sixty four is a bit meh. I mean, I've got him in fantasy, so I, I knew Dan Well had not had a good game. Uh, receiving though, no receiver had got above forty-seven yards, which was DK Metcalf on three attempts. It just—it just seems like you wasn't able to pass the ball. What what was happening? Was it the pass rush? Was your O line not being able to stand up? What what was the issue? Aaron fucking Donald. He turned up like a man possessed, and he was just breaking through almost everything. And I think there's a clip going round of when Geno Smith looked up to try and find a pass, and so Aaron Donald went at him, and he, <laughs> yes. he just got rid of the ball. We we couldn't seem to find any space. I mean, Tyler Lockett only had two receptions. He went down injured and went into the injury tent, being assessed for a concussion. DK Metcalf. Now, I know this sounds stupid because only three, four years ago he was drafted, but he's one of the more senior members on this roster now. Yeah, He lost his head to the point that he's pushing folk around just after the play's gone down. And you're thinking, you know, we're on a, th- a, a second and three situation there. He pushes him. We're back to second and 17 just for unsportsmanlike conduct. And you're thinking, he's one of your senior members. You need to keep your head focused on the game, not lose it in them sort of scenarios. And, you know, second and 17, we've got an incomplete. Third and 17, you know, it's just not manageable. Gino didn't look like the Gino that we saw last year. Hopefully that is just a little blip. But the Rams, like I say, they were just a completely different side to what I expect. And I hold my hands up. Of course, I was wrong about them. Um, I don't think they'll do quite as well against San Fran. I think they're a completely different defence to what we've got. We looked, we, we were missing half of our secondary. We were no Jamal Adams, Devin Witherspoon was out as well. So, you know, we were missing them sort of players. So, I think the the main issue we had was we just didn't have time. Gino did not have time to be able to pass the ball out and Walker just wasn't as effective as he was towards the back end of last season. But it's one game. We go again. Um, the worry I've got is up next, we've got the Lions, who have just, of course, come off the back of a win at Arrowhead, haven't they? So they've got a nice little bit of confidence behind them and, you know, we've got to go to their place now and get something. And uh, could do you beating them for Packers, to be fair. Well, yeah, I could do with us beating them for the Seahawks too. <laughs> uh, before I get into sort of the main question that I've got for the NFL segment, um, I know we don't try and talk about our own teams too much, but I think in this circumstance it needs acknowledging. Kemp, you uh, mentioned in episode sixty-seven <laughs> that you'd you'd uh, you'd booked Monday off. Your plan was to stop up Sunday night to watch Giants versus Cowboys. Uh, first of all, explain to our listeners how you escaped like a, a good motherfucker with that one. Uh, and also then tell us about the uh, the 40-0 to zero loss to the uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, well, it doesn't get much worse than that, does it? The only way is up, uh, I think you can say about that one for our season. But yeah, I, I managed to avoid it by being fucking knackered. Um, last minute, dot com watched the UFC on Saturday night which obviously started at three in the morning so went to sleep had a decent nap uh, on Sunday afternoon as well um but I, I got to red zone I was watching the 925 games um watching I think I was watching Bears Packers actually at one point as well um and then it got to the point where I just I just turned to my better half I turned to our bland and said 
listen, fuck this. I know I've got day off tomorrow, but I'm I'm knackered. We're going to bed. So I did put the uh, I did put the coverage on while we were in bed, uh, but fell fell asleep like before the game even aired. To be honest with you, um, but yeah, I woke up in the middle of the night. And I think it was thirty to nothing or thirty three to nothing, and I and I sort of opened my eyes. And then I just saw a little wry smile come across my face, just like, mm, I didn't stay up for this and I'm so fucking glad I didn't. But yeah, I've obviously since watched uh, watched the highlights and looked at the stats. Um, I think the scoreline, and, and by all means, it was horrendous. It was horrendous and it was the worst possible start for the Giants we could have possibly had. I think the scoreline does flatter the Dallas Cowboys a little bit. Um, DJ... Good awareness and use the blitz to his advantage early on in the game, uh, wheeling out of the pocket for a, for a couple of decent first downs. Saquon Barkley picking up a decent nine-yard run as well on, on our first drive. Um, we were third and seven on the 13-yard line. Let's just let that sink in. We <laughs> were third and seven on the 13-yard line, and we got no points. And this was after our first drive. Right. Um, but a, a, an errant snap uh, takes us back to the 33-yard line. Uh, a long field goal from 45 yards for Gano, which he, he, the, the, the Cowboys special team blocked and returned for the first touchdown of the game. They missed the, the point after touchdown, um, which was, was interesting. But but all, all, nonetheless, um, it all slid very quickly downhill from there. Um, and, and it was the same old story with the Giants, the, the story that I thought we'd got over after the last few drafts with Evan Neal and Andrew Thomas. In, and it was all the offensive line. I knew Micah Parsons and the and the the Cowboys defense was going to be a fucking pain for us, but the O line was completely non-existent, um, and you can't get away with it against Cowboys D line. You can't get away with it at all. Six sacks for the Cowboys says it all. Fifteen completed passes from twenty-eight attempts and thirteen attempted runs from DJ. It was it wasn't running with purpose. He was running for his life essentially. DJ in last in this game, and I felt really sorry for him. Um, Barkley. Good grab, um, and uh, for the for the for the Cowboys second touchdown, um, but the uh, the Cowboys managed to pop it out of his hands for a return and touchdown. Um, so so what can you do? Um, PI calls all over the shop. Dak wasn't really special, but was picking up first downs and Dink and Dak, and that's exactly what it was. John Michael Schmitz at centre really needs looking at for me in, in terms of the Giants. Put us in danger for a fair few snaps. And like I say, the blocking was completely non-existent from the entire offensive line. And then the, the game just got away from us. Concentration completely went out the window. Chasing the game, you know how it is. We weren't at our best. Um, and, and we're at our best, the Giants, in my opinion, when that O-line is functioning. Gives Saquon lanes to run into. Gives DJ the opportunity to either throw a quick run to the first down yard marker for a check down um, or, or get sort of wheel out for options for potentially a run where DJ can pick up first downs. Um, and, and, and none of that happened, unfortunately. So... 40 to nothing. Can't start worse than that, really. But, you know, not panicking just yet, but uh, a real, real concerning start. And we need to bounce back with a win at the weekend because if not, it's it's going to start getting pretty toxic at MetLife. But uh, but we'll see. Well, to be fair to you, mate, if they're, um, if if you could choose a week two matchup after that, it, you'd probably pick the Cardinals based on their current squads. And that's who you've got. So, the hope is there. So that is sort of a bit about our own teams and a couple of bits that we wanted to talk about. But I think for me, the biggest headline in terms of moving forward and what what this season could look like is Sam, I'm going to come to you to this one to simply pose you the question. Um, basically, mate, for me, the biggest thing out of this week one is, uh, are the Lions legit? 
Well, they certainly went about the business in the right way, um, beating, going into Arrowhead, the Super Bowl defending champions, opening night, presented with the the banner, the Super Bowl banner as they always do, and then uh, then went and stuffed them twenty to uh, sorry twenty one to twenty. And I would like to say that uh, a certain somebody did have the Lions by one, so I will uh, will claim that one for a loaded sport first. Um, and yeah, just just looking at the stats now, Mahomes never really got going. I mean, twenty one of thirty nine, two six six passing yards, two touchdowns to an interception. So pretty average night by his stretch. Jared Goff twenty two of thirty five. Uh, 253 yards and a touchdown. So again, pretty uh, pretty efficient from from Jared Goff. But I think I think the main the main issue in the entire game was uh, the Chiefs' wide receivers. They just they just couldn't seem to really get going. It was obviously without Travis Kelsey as number one target man. Um, and and yeah, uh, Valdis Scantling continuing his issues. What he's, he's always had from obviously previous experience with Green Bay, just not the safest pair of hands. Cracking deep threat, but Kadarius Tony looked all for the world. The reason why the uh, why the Giants were happy to let him go. So yeah, it was a really poor night for the Chiefs on opening night. I think they will improve. I don't think there's too much to worry about. I think getting Kelsey back is going to help that offense a lot, but. On the on the flip side, it is a little bit concerning that it just takes one of your guys to go down and it's derailing the entire offense. So yeah, what a win for the Lions! You've you've obviously backed them quite heavily to to do well um, in your predictions. So yeah, for first start probably you pencil that game as one of their hardest games of the season going into it, and and they've they've already ticked it off. So yeah, cracking start for the Lions, and um, I hope it doesn't continue. <laughs> I'm sure you know. And Aggie, I'll come to you for this one, mate. You um, obviously being a Seahawks fan, you, you predicted them to go quite well. Lions now potentially. Look, there's, there's probably not a bigger statement win than going to Kansas City and getting a win, especially their the first game since becoming the Super Bowl champions. Do you see the Lions as a, a threat in the NFC now? When and you know it is, it it probably isn't the biggest sort of. I don't know what the right word is, but in terms of depth across the the NFC division or conference, should I say, it's probably the lowest it's been for for many a year. So do you see them now being able to potentially take on the heavyweights that are the Eagles, that are the San Francisco 49ers in that conference? Or is it just it's it's one week, it's one win? As Kemp would say, let's calm down and and reassess maybe in a few weeks. Yeah, I think one week, one win. We'll see what they do now moving forward. i I think, like you've just said, for the NFC, it's literally the Eagles or the Niners, isn't it? Let's be fair, they're the two standout teams. It's not like with the AFC where you've got three or four teams that could really be quite competitive. So at no point did I say the Lions weren't going to be competitive or anything like that. I think they are a very good side. I did have them pegged down as one of the sides that we'd be able to beat when I gave you the 12-5 and record that I thought we were going to finish on. But I also had the Rams down as that. I think the Lions shown a lot of grit and determination against a very difficult Chiefs side because whilst they didn't have Travis Kelsey... They still have Patrick Mahomes. And we all sat here and said that Mahomes is going to have that magic about him where he's going to be able to go up against the Lions. And with that experience that he's gained so far in the NFL, still walk out with the win and send the Chiefs to 1-0. So, great to the Lions. I think it was very gutsy for them to go. I think it was the first drive, wasn't it? They were on fourth and one in their own half and they decided to go for it. So, very gutsy. Some very big decisions made from them. And obviously it paid off, but a win's a win. You know, like you've already said, probably the toughest matchup they're going to have all season. And they've uh, managed to get the win out of it. So a lot of work for the Vikings to do if they're going to turn things around and and win that division, like I've said, or for Green Bay. I think Green Bay had a very good opening weekend as well. Um, And I'm just trying to think of who the, uh, the last team is in there. 
The Bears, Vikings, maybe. The Bears, yep. Well, <laughs> let's say no more about the Bears. That, so, yeah, that's how go. unforgettable they are. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, that's it. Well, moving on to week two, lads. Well, I know, again, we'll not sort of go in every week talking about our own teams. We try to avoid that in football. It's only right that we do that in the uh, in the NFL as well. There are actually two Monday night football games this uh, this upcoming weekend, Aggie, if you, uh, if you, fa- if you fancy a very... Uh, Tired Tuesday. Unfortunately, though, probably not the most exciting matchups on paper. Saints versus Panthers and Browns versus Steelers. So, uh, yeah, not the most exciting. So, what I will do, lads, uh, tonight, peek behind the curtain. I say tonight, Thursday night recording. We've got Vikings at Eagles. And then Sunday night football, probably a a potential for a very good game. Dolphins at Patriots. Um, So I'm going to ask and go around the room for your predictions for those. So, Kemp, I'll start with you, please. Um, Give us your predicted winner and by what score for the Vikings at Eagles in the Thursday night football game. And then the Sunday night football game, uh, Dolphins at Patriots, which I will assume you won't have as big a gap as the one between the Cowboys and Giants this past Sunday. No, the gaps don't get much bigger than that, let's be honest with you. Um, so Vikings, Eagles, I'm going to go with Eagles by 10. And Dolphins against Patriots, very, very nice. I'm going to go with Dolphins by 7. Interesting. Sam, take us through your predictions for Thursday night football and Sunday night football. Well, as you know, I do not rate the Vikings and I haven't rated the Vikings for probably 12 months. Um, so I am definitely back in the Eagles in this one. If if Vikings win this, I'll be very surprised. Uh, I am going to go for the Eagles. I like Kemp's by 10, to be fair, but I'll, for the sake of being different, uh, Eagles by Eagles by 13. And then for the Patriots Dolphins, I am going to go for the Dolphins. And I think they will beat the Patriots by, fuck you, beat the Patriots by five. Five is interesting. It's not very uh, very often. I'll I'll go uh, go in next. Uh, Vikings at Eagles. Uh, I do expect a comfortable Eagles win. Kirk Cousins with the Vikings. You put them Sunday six o'clock. Absolutely phenomenal win record. You put them any other time slot and not so much. So I'm going to go with the Eagles by seventeen. Um, on uh, on the Thursday night football fixture, Dolphins at Patriots. Patriots played very well um, against the Eagles. Overall, started slow but came into their own. Mac Jones with three touchdown passes. Dolphins fantastic. Tua was brilliant. Had nearly four hundred and fifty passing yards. Tyreek Hill just blew the Chargers uh, the DBs away. And I, I I'm really really struggling with this one. I'm pretty much down to a coin flip, but I will go with the Patriots winning by. One. Very well, that's not biased now. That's not biased. I just think that Bill Belichick's um, game preparation, it is at Gillette Stadium. It's there. I, I, I think that they can just have enough. At Dolphins is Patriots' big bogey game of the season. But at Gillette Stadium, historically, it has been you know, a Patriots win. And I can see that uh, continuing for now. Dawson, um, didn't you play the Dolphins win. when you went to Gillette Stadium? Did mate, and they lost. <laughs> yeah. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Sorry, but, but, but 
no, no, mate, you're, you're absolutely right. That was Fitz Magic, though. So uh, not to, uh, um, so yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Patriots by one in Sunday night football. Uh, Kemp, you've um, you've already been mate, so I'm gonna go. I have, <laughs> I'm mate, gonna yeah, go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, mate. It was it was that forgettable. I forgot. Um, Aggie closes off with the Thursday night football and Sunday night football predictions. Vikings at Eagles and Dolphins at Patriots. I'm also going to go with an Eagles win, but I'm going to go with six points. I don't think it's going to be quite as distant as you guys think, certainly not to the uh, three scores that 17 offers. But I think, you know, it's going to be a case of the last drive of the game is going to be the Vikings. There's going to be a pick thrown in there or something. I'm going to fail on fourth down and the Eagles just take the need to finish it off. So I think six points will uh, be enough for the Eagles to win that one. And I think the Dolphins are just, that offence that the Dolphins have is just too quick and too good for most teams. And while the Patriots did perform very well against uh, the Eagles, despite going three scores down to begin with, I'm going to have to give it in favour of the Dolphins. And I'm going to say 13 points in in the Dolphins' favour. I think um, that um, Dolphins-Chargers game, just an absolute shootout, wasn't it? And I don't think anybody quite thought the Dolphins' defence would have been as bad as it was. That was quite concerning. They they looked all the world like they've got probably one of the best cornerbacks pairings in the league. And it just really, really poor defensive performance from them. Offensively, probably one of the best offensive performances in the the league. Tour and... uh, Tua and Tyreek were just automatic time and time again. There's always that famous fuck it, Tyreek's somewhere down there and just throwing it downfield. Yeah. I don't um, know if you saw, um, just very quickly on that, Tyreek, uh, you know, credit to him in terms of sort of noticing what was happening in the trends, but um, he, he went to Tua and basically said, oh, I've got these on a go route based on how they were scheming against him. And then the next play was a touchdown on quite a deep throw. So, yeah, it was pretty much just send it. I reckon I've got this kind of thing. Yeah, they were, they were just not offering any kind of support against the against Tyreek Hill. I think it was JC Jackson. That's one of your old boys, isn't it, JC Jackson? And it he, is, he, yeah, he had one of the worst games a quarterback could have possibly had, and there wasn't giving him any help whatsoever. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a really tough ask for this Patriots team to keep up with Miami. I think that's probably going to be they're going to want to make sure this game's you know, a 13-18 a, a sort of game, 13-17 sort of game, because if this scoring gets ahead of itself, I just cannot see that Patriots offense keeping up with Miami's. Yeah, I think Ramsey's wanna... back as well, isn't he? On yeah. defense, Ramsey will be back. Yeah, they want to slow it down like fuck, don't they? Like Burnley or Stoke at home in Premier League, like in their primes. They want to slow this fucker down. Because Tua to, to Tagovailoa. <laughs> Uh, 466 yards, three touchdowns and an interception against the, uh, um, yeah, in, in obviously the previous game. Um, and, uh, and Tariq Hill, 11 reception, 215 yards and two Ridiculous. touchdowns. Ridiculous. Which is fucking wants, terrifying. Terrifying. He said he wants over 2,000, didn't he, this year? Tyreek, I'm oh, sure I've heard somebody yeah. say he wants to be the first receiver to make 2,000 receiving yards in a season. But it's gone the right way about it. Mm, yeah, it's on track for about 3,600. So the Patriots warm up properly because he might break a few ankles. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a very, very tough game for the yeah. Patriots cornerback. Imagine me well, jockeying I- in with my calves. <laughs> 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 I I, uh, I don't know if you've seen, but this past week during training, uh, Patriots actually uh, flew in Tony Pulis 
uh, to help them set up for the game on Sunday. I wish I'd never said it. Uh, I've got headphones on. But anyway, that is episode 68, lads. I, I don't know about you, but it's fucking great to talk about NFL that's happened and NFL that's stuck home. I think it's really going to round off our, our episodes nicely. We all want to talk about football. Some of us want to talk about, you know, combats and uh, F1 and things like that. So really, really happy that uh, the NFL is back. And look, it's going to be really interesting to see what's happening over the next few weeks, especially like Aaron Rodgers. Anything can happen at any given moment that completely changes the landscape of a division, of a conference and ultimately the league as a whole. So, uh, yeah, really interesting to see what's going to happen over the next few weeks. But let's talk about weekends. Aggie. You've uh, you've officially signed on the dotted line. You've officially confirmed your first game as a flash score commentator for next weekend. So uh, what have you got this upcoming weekend, mate? Or two weeks away, sorry, should I say. So uh, we're a little bit away yet. So uh, are you working, as as you would say, or are you giving yourself a little bit of breathing space and a little bit of chill time before uh, your new career as a flash score commentator kicks in? Yeah, I'm not quite sure what the air coach is. I just about to say that's so belittling yet. Are you working? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so patronising. It's commentating. That's not work, is it? Come on. Same anyway, right. yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be working on Saturday. Um, I've got two Saturdays left with the current radio station. I'm working at covering Stavely. Um and then yeah, it's on to Flashcore. My first game is going to be West Ham United against Sheffield United. So a nice little uh, game to get me started. But looking forward to that. And of course, on Sunday, Seahawks at six o'clock uh, kickoff. So there's no worries about you know having to stay up late finishing at half eleven, twelve o'clock, anything like that. So I can get that game out of the way and then just chill in bed. And when I fall asleep, I fall asleep. So yeah, good weekend. Uh, fair, Kempy. Aggie just mentioned Sheffield United there, and as I know already, um, after our recent trip to London, you've you've said for many a year how much you dislike the uh, the capital of England, but yet again you are making the trip down south. So talk us through your plans for this weekend. Yeah, Saturday the 16th of September, Sheffield United away at Tottenham Hotspur at the three o'clock kickoff. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, to be fair. Looking forward to getting back to supporting the Blades after the uh, international break. I'm not a big fan of international breaks, so I'm looking forward to getting back to club football. And I'm also looking forward to seeing the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium because uh, by all reckoning, the pictures I've seen and, and obviously Sam's experience watching the NFL there, it's a pretty beautiful sight to behold. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the pipe that fills up from the bottom. Um, and then Sunday might be a bit of playing a bit of football myself as well. So it's going to be a football orientated weekend. Um, and then hopefully we get a Giants win on Sunday as well. But I'm not going to ask for too much. So we'll, we'll leave it there. Well, very quickly, mate, I, I wish I could fill you up from the bottom or in the bottom. But uh, Sam, the, the reason I did it in that order was because I knew Kemp was going to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this weekend. Or well, two questions. A, are there any tips that you can offer him for his experience to make it even better this weekend? And B, what, of course, have you got planned for this upcoming weekend? Uh, yeah, in regards to Tottenham, um, not really. It was a completely different experience to football. Obviously, he's just going in, going to the bar, going to the stands where obviously man was a bit more of like a bit of a festival sort of thing. Obviously, you've got your, your tailgate for your NFL all around, so it were a bit more to take in. Um, I've already said, obviously, the the, the, the pint from that fills up from the bottom, I've already told him, don't fuck about with the the hole in the bottom because you will fucking get covered in beer. Uh, they do leak as well, which is a bit weird. Even when you don't fuck about it, just, just kind of, you put, you put it on a coaster and you'll notice it's uh, a <laughs> coaster. Who's got a fucking coaster of football match? I did wonder. New <laughs> stadium, but they're looking after you there, aren't they? Fucking <laughs> yeah, it's not bad, time. is it? <laughs> well, 
am I on about there? Fucking hell. Um, yeah, if you put your beer on your floor and that, you know it's going to be a little bit of a puddle where you've left your beer. So that's my one tip. Don't fuck about with a little circle at the bottom of your pint glass. Uh, it, as for my weekend, Saturday I will be going to the glorious Pride Park Stadium. And I'll be watching Derby. I'll be watching Derby. Fucking get that quiet. I'll be watching Derby County versus Portsmouth. Um, the Rams. I, I bought my old man a ticket for his birthday, bless him. So me and my old man are going to go and watch Derby at the weekend. Um, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for Saturday. And then Sunday, it's just all about NFL. It's all about NFL. And these weekends are just so much fucking better. When I know at six o'clock, I've got Red Zone at six. Well, I don't think I've got Red Zone. I don't know what time we're on, actually. I'll have to double check that. Um, I'll tell you now, keep talking, mate, and then I'll uh, I'll let you know. Yeah, Packers Falcons. I'm not hundred percent sure. My dream scenario is six what o'clock. we have six o'clock, is it? Yeah, that's that's a bit of a, a bit of a shame, but it means I'll be watching Packers from six and Red Zone from half nine. So it's not 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 end of the world, but I do like to watch the start of Red Zone to be fair. Uh, so yeah, that's my weekend from six o'clock. I'll be watching the Eagles on the uh, Eagles, where the fuck have I got Eagles from? I think I'm off as pissed as you. Uh, I'll be watching <laughs> the, the Packers Falcons uh, in Atlanta from six PM on Sunday, and I cannot fucking wait to watch oh. some more Jordan Love. Oh, I've also just ordered, I finally made my decision on the Packers jersey that I've gone for as well. Obviously, I've said, I've said on this, I've been toing and froing with a couple of players. All my Packers jerseys are completely outdated. I've got two Rogers shirts. I've got a, a Clay Matthews jersey. I've got a, um. Back to Tiari, aren't you? I've got, no, I ain't got back Tiari, no. Um, I've got, um, fucking hell, Charles Woodson. I've got a Charles Woodson jersey. Nah, fucking hell, that is outdated. <laughs> That's quite outdated. Um, and I've not got, I've realised I've not got an actual current, and current Packers player jersey now. So I've gone for the, the rookie first round pick, Kyle Van Ness, number 90, ordered today. It comes to three to five business days. So hopefully this time next week, uh, I will be wearing my new Packers jersey for the podcast. Happy days, mate. Can't wait for that one. Um, not that anybody cares, but I've got absolutely no plans for the weekend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> gonna, uh, gonna, gonna have a film day on Saturday um, with uh, with Tommy and DG, and then Sunday, yes, mate, it will be uh, NFL. And my perfect scenario: Patriots are playing through the night, so I can enjoy Red Zone and then not have to watch Patriots lose. So uh, that's perfect. Hey, you don't watch so. fucking Patriots anyway. You, you, you <laughs> do so much. He's moved chair already. Fuck you know. Patriots lose. That's five minutes after he's picked him to win. What? Uh, yeah, what? what uh, give, me, fair, yeah. give me one film you'll be watching Saturday with T Bone and DG. Well, we, we, we've got a list. We've got a list. So we're going to spin the wheel. The oh, I love wheel. it. Love uh, shit. Yeah, like that. yeah. So um, we, we've had a bit of a thing on it. It's been a Friday evening thing where we've we've put a film on that's got from our childhood, like a, a Mrs. Doubtfire, for an example, that he's not seen. That's from our childhood. So um, we've got um, it's to Squid Game, something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're watching that at the minute. Actually, I know, I know. Um, we've got uh, what's what's one of the films? Bolt, which is a Disney film. I've never seen it. Yeah, I've not seen it, but I know what it is. Yeah. The the White yeah. Dog. Yeah, that's John Travolta. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, we watched the trailer the other day. Uh, Real Steel with uh, Hugh Jackman. Oh, that's a bit uh, shit. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I'll leave it then. <laughs> I'll, uh, we'll open next week with uh, with a review of it. But uh, yeah, just a couple of films. We're going to go uh, gonna go shopping tomorrow night. Get you know, We're going to treat it like full-on cinema day, so get the popcorn in, get snacks in, everything. Get like some that. hot dogs. So, yeah, Saturday. We don't have to leave the house, and it's just going to be literally like just watch films and shit like that all day um, uh, and yeah probably a little bit <laughs> a little bit that's <laughs> Aggie episode 68 is in the books mate give our our viewers and listeners that bless them have fucking sat through us right till the end 
Give us, uh, give them an inspirational quote to get them through the next week. I haven't got an inspirational quote, mate. Inspirational as ever. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. See you next week, everybody. Bye.